Captain Vega of the Chimera stands at the edge of a sky island overlooking the ocean beneath the vast sea of stars above. Cinder is almost full, its pale orange-red light brighter than usual, and suffused with wraiths waxing blue, it bathes the entire scene in a blue and purple hue. Below, in the distance, the lights of Isto Mavana can be seen. Captain Vega is young for a commanding officer, with blonde hair and a long braided ponytail, cutting a striking figure in his Dominion naval uniform. He takes his cap off and turns toward the island. You say the light and storm were not your doing, but you said you witnessed the events? Yes, sir, a woman's voice answers, and I believe it may present a new angle for our research. Good. The Admiral will be pleased. Should we expand the search for your missing assistant? No need. She will turn up, or otherwise it's no great loss to our work here. She could not truly embrace what we strive toward in the end. Very well then. Between you and me, Professor Thorne, how many of our soldiers will be able to utilize this new blood connection to the Sky Iron? Oh, if I were you, Captain Vega, I'd get ready to become one of the Dominion's most powerful leaders. This will revolutionize war. I've already been stockpiling the necessities in one of the caves on the northern part of the island, ma'am. Smart boy. You'll have power and wealth. Now follow me. Let's attune you to your own clockwork soldier. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ironsworn Sundered Isles. As always, I am Rainy, and I am your guide to the reaches out here near Istomavana. And before we catch up on how the Resistance is going, let's talk about a few things that are coming up. As I mentioned last time, the crowdfunding event for Ironsworn Sundered Isles will be happening, I believe, in March. So keep your eyes peeled for that. You'll be able to get your own digital PDF if you did not back the Starforged Kickstarter, and a physical copy if you are interested in getting it. I believe the plan is for it to be spiral-bound like the Starforged Reference Guide, so it'll be a really great, easy-to-carry-around resource for playing games in the Sundered Isles. On the Rainy Plays Games front, next week will be the second episode of Mining Media, and this time I asked on the social medias what type of content you would like me to talk about. Is it another book series, a video game, a TV series, things like that? And it was decided to talk about a video game. And there's actually a little Easter egg or clue in the intro if you go back to what video game I might be talking about next week. And I do have some exciting things planned for March. But those I'm going to keep a little more secret until the time comes closer. Also... Just to be fully transparent, I am probably about halfway done with this Sundered Isles playthrough for the purposes of this podcast. I may come back and play more Ironsworn, either Sundered Isles, Original Flavor, or Starforged in the future. But I do also want this podcast feed to not only have solo play content, but hopefully I can get some small groups together and play through short series of other games. I did the one-on-one 
episode with my wife Lynn playing Call of Cthulhu. I would like to have more things like One Last Quest, either one-shots or short series of other games. So if there's anything you think that I would like or you'd like to hear me play, definitely reach out and let me know what you've been reading lately or playing. And I will be very excited to check it out. And there's never enough time to play all the games, but damn if I'm not going to try. So with those announcements out of the way, let's get back into some Sundered Isles. In that little bit of an intro there, I did play out a conversation that I imagined would have happened between members of the Cairodi Dominion and the Sinosher Society researchers on the Sky Island nearby Gamadar when all of this went down. Now, we knew they were coming. That was part of the consequences of our roles and whatnot. But we also know that they are now in this area. I said that it was nighttime at that point. You know, they were probably arriving. It was probably sundown, late afternoon kind of thing. I'm going to ask the Oracle to start this episode whether or not Dine and crew and the members of the Resistance got off the Isle of Gamadar in the sea, or if they had to hunker down and spend the night there to avoid being seen by the Cairodi Dominion fleeing back towards Istomavana. I think it's 50-50. I think some members of the Resistance probably really want to get off of this island as fast as possible. Probably like Ephraim, who did not have a good time the last time he was here. And others are probably very nervous and not sure if they should make a move yet. Dine might be tired from his trial and the adrenaline from his use of sorcery and mastery of this and deep breathing and everything that he's gone through might be wearing off. And then there's also Meizu the Uktani research assistant. Just to remind everybody, the Uktani are a culture in the Sundered Isles document that are devoted to preserving the sacred sites and relics and ways of the ancestors. So whether that's their culture or whatnot, she still saw what Dine was going through and how he described it as something that his people and his culture needed access to and it struck a chord with her. So she's still here and is probably pretty nervous. So let's say 50-50, 50 or less, they do attempt to get off the island and head back to Istomavana. Greater than 50, they have to spend the night here. That is a Nintendo 64. So all members of the Resistance and newcomer Meizu are stuck on the Isle of Gamadar for the evening. In the intro, I referenced the moons. I did roll to see if there was going to be foul weather and the state of the moons because I love in Sundered Isles the idea that the two challenge die are tied to the two moons of the setting, Cinder and Wraith. And based on what you get on those, it may influence basically, you know, the flavor of your results. I rolled and got a seven for Cinder and a four for Wraith. So both the orange-red moon and the light, crystally blue moons are in the sky at the same time at different intensities, but no full moons, no harsh weather. And I'm just going to roll just another 50-50 on whether or not the night passes calmly, and then we'll have a scene. I think 
50 or less, no problems in the night. They managed to make camp either in the beaches near the mangrove thickets or in a secluded area that is safe because the Morian and the Eldarian remnants have found places on this island that are safe. Let's see. 50 or less, we're good. 97. Okay. Well, that changes things. <laughs> Let's roll on the action and focus oracles to see if we can make sense of what this interruption in the middle of the night is going to be. Six is arrive. 48 is life form. Arrive life form. Okay, sure. Yeah, let's just... You know what? We didn't use it last time. Why wouldn't we use it this time? That panther-like creature that doesn't have eyes? Let's find that again in the Starforged book, and we'll have a fight against more wildlife on this island. So, setting the scene, I think that the Resistance had to hunker down on the Isle of Gamadar. There was no way to escape under the clear night sky without alerting the Kairodi Dominion to their position. So, they have made a small camp, and they have used some of the mangrove thickets and maybe the dense vegetation of the jungle to help obscure the fire that they have going. And they're doing their best to just rest and recover for the night after the grueling day that has occurred. Kimora, leader of the Morian, and Finn, leader of the Eldarian Remnants, are both kind of grilling Meizu and asking her a lot of questions about her position in the Sinosha Society, what it is the people are doing up there, what they are researching, what kind of work prompted this, you know, coming from the Dominion, why are they here, etc. And I think this is an opportunity to really get some answers. So, Meizu is telling everybody about the Sinosha Society and what they've discovered. Obviously, these are not the only islands that were affected during the cataclysm, during the instigation of the centuries-long war that has recently come to an end, supposedly, with the Kairodi Dominion being crowned the victors. Many of these islands were not only immediately studied, you know, have been studied maybe for much longer than the ones out here in the reaches near Isto Mavana, and there have been a lot of scientific experimentation and research topics led about what caused these islands to be torn asunder and into the sky and become sky islands, and there's been many massive leaps in technological advancement due to being able to study this kind of incredibly potent, what the world is calling magic. And out here, they are researching the sky iron because there is something about it that, as we hinted at earlier and have talked about, there is innate magic in it. So it kind of gives people incredible powers. It has a sort of power source in and of itself. It functions like something that can empower those clockwork mechanisms that we saw the Sinosha Society people working on, which in turn sounds like the clockwork soldiers. 
But also, there is that strange connection to the blood that has been hinted at. And in this world where swearing an iron vow on your iron means something deeper than just making a promise, doing it in sky iron is almost magically binding in an even more powerful way. So we don't know what that is yet, but Meizu has seen the clockwork soldiers in action. She has seen the types of things that sky iron can empower, and she seems guilty during this entire conversation. She didn't really have a choice in her life before she came out here. You know, she was like anyone else who'd lost to the Dominion. You find a place to fit in and be productive and be part of the society, or you struggle, and it's rough. So she latched onto something completely different than her culture and her history and attempted to assimilate. And in ways that helped her because it got her out here, she showed promise in that. But in other ways, it only highlighted the cultural betrayal that she now feels she has been acting under. Seeing Dine stick up for his culture's history and their rites and rituals has reinvigorated a spark in her, a pride, and she wants to do better. Plus, it's not like she likes the Cairoti Dominion. So, in the end, I think that she convinces Kaimora and Finn that she is trustworthy, but I think that right as this conversation is getting to the point where tensions are starting to die down and people are like, okay, maybe we can trust this strange Cairoti researcher, there's a rustle in the nearby ferns, the undergrowth, the understory of the jungle. And everybody stops. It gets very quiet. And there's almost like a clicking and a mewling. And everybody's eyes are following the sound. And then it gets silent. Finn stands up and walks towards the edge of the clearing that they have made their camp in. And I'm going to roll to enter the fray. As we are about to initiate combat or be forced into a fight... What is our objective? Give it a rank. We know what this is. This is a Howl Cat from the Starforged book. And Dine is going to sense that something is wrong and jump up and enter the fray with one of his worst stats, and that is Iron. Because he closes the gap and says, wait, as this Howl Cat pounces out of the shadows of the jungle and is in midair when it's attempting to take down Finn. So let's roll plus iron to enter the fray. A three plus one for a four on the action score versus a three and an eight on the challenge dice for a weak hit. So we can either take two momentum or begin in control. And because I don't want Finn to be taken out immediately, I'm going to say that we are in control as we get our spear up in time to kind of smack this Howlcat off its intended course and not tackle Finn as it skids into the flames and the light of our camp area and everybody sees this sleek gray black furred panther like creature as it comes to a halt in the middle of our camp and it is unnerving because the skull of this panther has no eyes instead 
It has large ears and a glossy bioacoustic organ on its head. It is very cool, but also very creepy. And Dine in control is going to immediately try and follow this up to scare this creature away. I think he's going to heft the spear that he just smacked this Halcat out of the way with. And he feels that it is, again, that double-sided kind of swallow design spear points at both ends and he hefts it in his hands and feels the magic course through it. This is his new ranged weapon because he doesn't carry a pistol like many of the Kairodi Dominion Navy soldiers. That is probably technology that exists out here in the reaches, especially given this campaign. But I think that a lot of the people out here kind of avoid using it because of cultural practices and they feel bad in this kind of part of the world. So he is going to throw it aided with his magical prowess, his new control over the air a little bit and attempt to strike this Hellcat with this spear. So here goes. We do get to roll plus edge because we are attacking at a distance, which is our best stat. So let's see. A three plus three for a six versus another three and a nine on the challenge dice for another weak hit. So on a weak hit, we mark progress twice, but you expose yourself to danger. We are no longer in control. We are in a bad spot. This is only a dangerous foe, so we do get to mark four boxes of progress as we throw this spear and it glances across this thing's shoulder and we hear it yelp, a kind of very screech-like, uncomfortable sound. And when it screeches, everyone instinctively grabs their ears and is thrown off for a second, allowing this Hellcat to make the next move. It looks around and sizes up everyone else here in the camp. Laulo has stood up and is carrying, you know what, we said that a boomerang would be a cool weapon and we didn't do it on the Sky Island. I think Laulo probably has a boomerang. That seems really cool. And Ephraim is a big old fella that is not all that tempting looking probably for this panther to go after. And its eyes fall on Meizu and it is about to pounce at Meizu. We are going to react under fire, and we are going to take action to overcome an obstacle. We are going to do it by taking the hit for Meizu. And Dine sees this happening. He's thrown his spear. He's rushing forward, trying to pull his two iron daggers, and he jumps in the path again of this Halcat. So we are going to roll plus iron. Not a great stat, but I think that this is just the kind of person Dine is. After a day like today, he's taking a little more responsibility and is ready to face all the things that he's been running away from during this war and avoiding his mystic trials a little more now. So here goes. And that is not good. That is a two plus one for a three versus a nine and a 10 on the challenge dice. So that is a miss. On a miss, the situation worsens. You stay in a bad spot and must pay the price. I could use Tam here but I don't really know if I want Tam to be in the line of fire in this fight. But I think that Tam sees me rushing to take this hit, and I do think Tam is going to also jump to intercept this Hellcat. Tam screeches, and she leaps at this Hellcat, and we get to roll plus her health, which is full at the moment, so plus three. Let's see what happens. Oh no, Tam, a five plus three versus an eight and a nine on the challenge dice. This was just meant to be a bad situation. So on a miss, 
it faces its own costs or makes the situation worse. I think that both Tam and I get hit by this Halcat. Tam takes a claw and I get bit, maybe, as this thing just leaped forward, but we take the collective hit for Meizu. As a dangerous foe, they typically deal out two harm, so Tam goes from three to one health, and I'm going to pay the price, and we'll see if that makes sense to just take harm or see what comes up there. So here goes. I got a 14, which says you face a tough choice. I am going to take the two harm, which actually brings Dine down to a one in his health track. And I think the tough choice that Dine now faces is that this Hellcat has raked him and Tam and injured them both. And Tam looks hurt. It looks bad. And Dine does not want his best friend to be out of commission. So he's looking at Tam and he's looking at Meizu and this Hellcat is between the two of them. I think it just forces him to get even more desperate and we are going to clash. When you're in a bad spot and fight back against a foe at close quarters, roll plus iron, he has his daggers out and he's going to rush forward and attempt to beat this thing back. This could go really bad. I didn't expect this session to be so rough so early. A one plus one for a two versus a four and a nine on the challenge dice. I'm going to burn my momentum of five to make that at least a weak hit. Reset my momentum down to two, and on a weak hit for Clash, it says mark progress, but you are dealt a counter blow or setback. You stay in a bad spot and must pay the price. Yikes. Let's roll on pay the price again. 47, a new enemy is revealed. Oh no! It even says in the book, Howlcats typically hunt in packs. So this one was just the first one we saw. And there is a second, maybe even a third. I think Meizu is the one who notices it, actually. I think that in this whole chaos, Dine is just kind of running all over, trying to do his best. Finn has also kind of grabbed his weaponry. Kimura has grabbed her weapons and... Lalo and Ephraim, and this is when they haven't joined the fray because they've realized, uh-oh, there are more of these stalking the camp right now. And Meizu looks, and she says, don't fight them, don't fight them, make as much noise as you can, make as much noise as you can, and she starts banging things together and doing all of this stuff, and we are going to react under fire from a bad spot. We're going to use wits to cleverly bypass the obstacle. These things use echolocation. And we're going to attempt to overwhelm their senses by just making as much noise as possible all over the place in camp. So let's see if this works. Oh no. A two plus one for a three versus an eight and a ten on the challenge dice. It does not work. It says on a miss, the situation worsens. You stay in a bad spot and must pay the price. These Hellcats are going to kill us more than an entire army. 39, the environment or terrain introduces a new hazard. Ooh, what could that be? Let's roll descriptor focus just to see if anything comes up. 70, obscured. 36, force, obscured, force. Great, awesome. Maybe Dine's panicking. 
And having completed his trial, maybe it's a fog that's setting in, which again, if these Hellcats operate under echolocation, this fog isn't going to affect them. But Dine is panicking and the spear is reacting to Dine's panic and a fog is settling in around the camp. Oh no. Oh no, this is getting so much worse. And since we can't really take any more harm, I think that is the setback that we are dealt with this miss. And oh boy, we do have six progress on this. I could attempt to take decisive action and seize the objective and just kind of go for something crazy to end it. But six doesn't feel great. But I don't think we have a choice. So I'm going to take decisive action. We are going to continue using Meizu's idea to create a lot of noise, I think. Laulo has grabbed one of the logs from the fire and is swinging it around wildly. Not that the light or heat is going to be throwing them off, but it might do something. And let's see, we're rolling our two challenge dice against six progress. Please, please, please. I've been rolling insanely high this whole session so far. So let's let's roll low. Two threes on a strong hit, you prevail. Take plus one momentum, and if any objectives remain and the fight continues, you are in control. I think that we simply just make enough noise, and we show that there's not just the one of us or the two of us or anything like that, and we are outnumbering this Howl cat pack, and we've hit one of them hard enough that maybe it is whimpering and it can communicate that to the others, and I think that Tam... Injured jumps up on Dine's shoulder and lets out a really, really convincingly scary Tamarin screech. And the Howlcats turn tail and run back into the jungle. Their ambush this time has failed, but Dine and Tam look rough. Detention is immediately back in the camp, but this time it's not about Meizu. And it's not about the resistance, it's about Dine being as reckless as he was in this fight. Both Finn and Meizu rush over to him and Tam and help him back to the campfire, to a safe place. And everyone looks at him and says, Dine, what were you thinking? Taking on a Howlcat on your own. And Dine just shrugs and says, was I supposed to do nothing? And Meizu looks at him and says, I know we just met, but I think you saved my life twice already? I don't know how I can make it up to you. And Dine just smiles and says, You know what they're here for. You know what they're doing. You can help us stop them. And Meizu smiles and says, Please, just call me May. And I'm going to make a connection. When you search out a new relationship, which this seems like it is, we're going to roll plus heart. I need a good roll tonight. Come on, please. That is a five plus two against a five and a three on the challenge dice for a strong hit. On a strong hit, create a connection, give them a roll and a rank. And whenever your connection aids you on a move closely associated with their roll, add plus one and take plus one momentum on a hit. So I think that May is going to... And I know this sounds counterintuitive because Kimura and Finn are dangerous and Laulo and Ephraim are troublesome, but I think that represents more the stakes of things going poorly in that relationship. 
I think that May is probably formidable because she represents a serious bargaining chip and a piece of leverage in our fight against the Kairodi. Not only from an information standpoint, but also, you know, if things went sour with her, she could always go back and probably play dumb and it could turn around and be even worse for us. Then again, no, let's set this at dangerous because it's the same as Finn and Kimura. It has to do with the resistance itself. Plus, she seems, as we described her in the very beginning, guilty, wary about what she was doing with the Sinosha Society, and she's reconnecting with her culture. So let's go with dangerous. So yet another connection that we may develop in the future. And just while we're here and spending the night, because we can't head back to Istomavana. And because Dine and Tam look so rough, I'm going to make a recover move in heal. I think that Finn feels responsible for Dine taking that hit for him and having been a member of a kind of military ambush squad. They're used to doing a lot of field medical kind of treatments, just quick patch ups. So I'm going to roll from the perspective of Finn. Oh, it says if you obtain treatment from a companion, they're a bonded ally. We will do that. We'll roll plus heart. A six plus two for an eight versus a one and a 10 on the challenge dice for a weak hit. So on a weak hit on heal, it says you do heal three health, but it takes additional time or resources. And I think that's going to be as much as I would love it to be resources. I'm going to sacrifice momentum because it basically is us all night being out here. And I think that momentum narratively fits the story better than losing resources out here. Especially because in my mind, the way I kind of framed this to be, do we make it back to Istomavana in the middle of the night or do we have to wait till morning? And we're waiting because the Kairodi would see us from the Sky Isle or maybe the Sinosha Society would see us. We couldn't leave and obviously leaving in the morning or in the daytime only makes us more obvious. But I think that we wait to see the Kairodi leave, maybe the middle of the night, flying their ship back down to the ocean and sailing it back towards the Isle of Istomavana. And we can use the dawn or something like that, or just enough time has passed that we head out. And by the time we reach Istomavana, the time we've lost in the last... 12 to 24 hours is going to be evident as we reach the docks. When the resistance arrives back in Istomavana, casually floating back into the docks and, and arriving, they are immediately met with a pretty terrifying sight, which is the Dominion soldiers are now being a little more aggressive in the Isle of Istomavana, in the village itself. We see that the Sinosha Society folks have come back with Captain Vega. Maybe not all of them, but at least one or two. And they are doing mandatory testing on all villagers from Istomavana. And it is a very uncomfortable scene. I'm actually going to roll just as a crew here, as a resistance. We'll assume... Kimura and Finn have safe locations to bring their ships and things like that, 
elsewhere to meet with their people, but Dine, Lalo, and Ephraim are going to face danger with stealth, so we're going to roll plus shadow and see if we can sneak back into the village. This is... This is karma, because I've rolled so well in so many episodes, and now it's coming back for me. A 2 plus 2 for a 4 versus a 5 and an 8 on the challenge dice for a miss. Oh, it's getting rough now. So on a miss, you fail or momentary success is undermined by a dire turn of events. Let's pay the price. Roll that d100, but I already think I know what I want to do here. Well, it's fitting. I got an 11 for you face a tough choice. And that tough choice is some soldiers see the three members of our crew and Meizu. And they point and say, you there, come here. New orders from the Admiral and Sinosha Society researchers. All villagers are to be tested for sorceress potential. You'll be coming with me to be tested. And, oh boy, what are we going to do now? Oh, 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 I have an idea. So, way back in like episode one, when we were storming the Kairodi Dominion ship for the medicine for the Eldarian Remnant, we did say that we grabbed one additional thing, and I have it written down here as Gilded Imperial Regalia, which I think probably means it's the sign of some kind of rank or similar in the Kairodi Navy or maybe even higher up that was on this ship. And I don't think Dine is going to be able to pull this off, but we do have Meizu with us now. And Dine looks very nervous, looks around. I think Meizu probably has her hood or cloak or similar up, so she's not immediately recognizable. Although, to these everyday sailors, they're not going to recognize a research assistant to the Sinosha Society, but she's nervous. And Dine turns to her and says, Meizu, I need you to help me. I need you to use your information, the things you know about the Kairodi Dominion. And he slips her the gilded imperial regalia and says, can you tell them that you're actually taking us somewhere else? Can you lie to them or something? And Meizu looks very nervous and just goes, Dine, I'm a researcher. I'm not an actor. And Dine says, if I go have to get tested, things are going to get very bad. And we're going to put our new connection, Meizu, to the test right here. And we do get to add plus one if our connection aids us on a move closely associated with their role, which we did say was like Kairodi informant or insider. So even though she's nervous about this, she does probably understand a bit of protocol and how the Kairodi government and all of these officials would be acting in a moment like this. So we're going to roll to compel this soldier and we're going to attempt to persuade them or make them an offer. And we're doing this through lying or swindling because Meizu is basically going to flash this and say, actually, I have to take these two straight to the captain. We caught them doing something else, and she's going to attempt to lie for us. So we're rolling plus shadow, plus one. Oh, please turn around, luck. A four plus three for a seven on the action die versus an eight and a three on the challenge dice for a weak hit. So on a weak hit, they'll do what you want or agree to your conditions, but their agreement comes with a demand or complication. 
envision their counteroffer. Hmm. I think the soldier looks at Meizu and says, You're escorting all three of these villagers to the captain? And he kind of raises an eyebrow like, How? Or why have they not just run or overpowered you or something? And he says, Allow me to accompany you. I don't want them getting any ideas or running for it. And his hand goes to the flintlock pistol on his hip. But at least that got us going in the opposite direction. And I do think the best thing here, and again, I'm just thinking of this from like a, if these were teenagers or early 20-somethings in this situation, sure, we could fight this soldier. That might go all right, but we don't want a gunshot going off. So I think that the plan is Dine grabs Meizu by the hand and says, May, trust me. And he looks at Laolo and Ephraim and gives them a nod and a wink. And Laolo rolls her eyes, but then nods back. And they know in situations like this, when you get caught, you scatter. And I think that they're just going to all sprint in different directions and try and get away from this soldier. So we are facing danger with edge because we are doing this with speed, mobility, or agility, or all of the above. So here goes, plus three. The dice have turned on me in this campaign. Oh my gosh. A three plus three for a six versus a 10 and a seven on the challenge dice for a miss. So on a miss, you fail or a momentary success is undermined by a dire turn of events. Pay the price. Yikes. This is so bad. This session is brutal. 22. A surprising development complicates your quest. Ooh, that sounds fun. And what would this surprising development be? Let's roll on one of the oracles. When I'm not sure, I like to roll on... In Sundered Isles, there is a prompts table that allows you to figure out which of the oracles you're going to roll on. So I'm going to roll a d100, see what comes up. A 92 is action plus descriptor plus focus. So we'll find out what this complication is with a bit of detail here. We're going to roll for action. 62 is locate, descriptor. 39, exposed. Focus, 27, ecosystem. Locate, exposed, ecosystem. Oh no, I think we lead. Oh no. We split up and we have a place that we always meet when things go like this. Lalo, Ephraim, Dine. You run, you scatter, you go into the jungles, or you go through town, and you lose your tail, whoever's pursuing you, and we always reconvene at a certain spot. And that's like a safe spot. It might even be Grandma's house, but we accidentally lead the Dominion there. Shoot. This session is brutal. All right, I'm going to ask the Oracle, 50-50, did they follow Dine, May, and Tamron? 50 or less is a yes. Otherwise, they followed Laolo and Ephraim. 25, they followed Dine, May, and Tamron. Okay, next question. Were Laolo and Ephraim already there by the time that Dine, May, and Tamron arrived at this rendezvous point. 
I'm going to say it's likely because they're more familiar with it. It's just the two of them, and Dine was trying to drag Meizu around. So 75 or less, they were there. 81, they had not gotten there yet, or for some reason weren't there. Okay, that's not a bad thing. So I think I know how I want this to proceed, and it sucks, but I think it makes sense, and it's also pretty fitting. I think that Dine, May, and Tamron sneaking around corners, running, trying to get to where they're going, and they finally are approaching this spot, and Dine takes a deep breath and is like, okay, we're good. I think we should be fine. And they turn the last corner, and standing in front of them is Captain Vega. And he looks down at Meizu, and he says, an Uktani and an injured Istomavanen. Interesting. I was told you were bringing him to me, but it seems I had to find you. And I think they're going to be detained by the Cairodi Dominion. And that leaves me with a lot of questions about what to do next. I have a lot of ideas that I think are going to be really great, but I don't want to dive into them right away, not only because I'm rolling atrociously in this session and don't want to miss on a lot more rolls, but all of those misses have obviously turned the tides as far as momentum. My momentum track is literally at zero. Dine has not been able to really catch a break since he finished his trial. And now he and Meizu and Tamron, although Captain Vega did not notice the small monkey, I don't think, have been captured by the Cairodi Dominion. And I don't know yet if I want to do a time skip and just pick up at the beginning of next episode with a new interesting location and problem for Dine to deal with, or play out a little bit of the paraded through town and brought somewhere, etc., kind of thing. But given how this session has gone, it's going to end a little early because I got to think about what comes next. Things did not go according to plan at all in that session. And sometimes that's the best part about solo role-playing. I mean, or playing RPGs in a nutshell. You can DM or GM a game for your friends and it goes immediately off the rails and they go in places you never expect. And some of the best stuff comes from that. So not discouraged, just scratching my head at my dice and their betrayal today. But thank you for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you enjoy the Rainy Plays Games podcast, please consider following me on social medias. I'm on a good amount of them, and you can reach out to me there on any of them. That's probably the easiest way to get in contact with me, or email me at rainyplaysgamespod at gmail.com. You can also go check out the DMs After Dark. I have been a member of them for over two years now, and they've been doing some incredible long-form games recently, and we have a backlog of a ton of games and actual plays that you can check out. If you're feeling really generous, please leave a rating on the podcatcher of your choice that you listen to this on. It goes a long way in just helping my podcast get found by more people. And until next time, be nice to your dice, because they'll turn on you.